1: Hey, everyone, it's Sid Evans at Southern Living. Biscuits and Jam has taken a quick break, but I wanted to reshare a favorite episode from earlier this season with Chase Rice. He's on tour this summer, so make sure to catch him live. Hope y'all enjoy it. This episode includes mentions of suicide. If you or someone you know may be having thoughts of suicide, please consider reaching out to a suicide or crisis lifeline. In the United States, you can dial 988 for help. Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, editor in chief of Southern Living Magazine. And in this episode, I'm talking with a guy who somehow made his way from the football field to the top of the charts in country music. Chase Rice was a star linebacker in high school who ended up playing at the University of North Carolina, but an injury dashed his dreams of going to the NFL. He didn't write his first song until he was in college, shortly after his father died, an event that continues to shape his life. He spent time working in NASCAR pit crews, was a contestant on the television show Survivor, and finally made his way to Nashville, where he co-wrote a hit song with the guys from Florida Georgia Line now after wrestling with some demons and having time to reflect during the pandemic he's got a new album with what he says are some of the best songs he's ever written it's called i hate cowboys and all dogs go to hell and there's a picture of his dad on the cover plus chase shares the story behind a very personal song about a man and his dog all that and more on biscuits and Jam. Chase Rice, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Thank you. Thanks for having me, man. So Chase, you were born in Florida, but uh, you grew up on a farm in North Carolina. I'm wondering if you can paint a picture of your childhood home and what that property looked like.
0: Imagine like a driveway as long as a landing strip for a plane. And then you get to the back of the property and there's the hangar. My dad used to fly little airplanes. And then there's a house with a wraparound porch. Two-story, not huge, but, you know, big enough for three kids. A lot of woods, a lot of land behind it, and then a 13-acre pond. That's a straight circle that we used to swim in. We used to ride skis in, boat in, and then we'd tube and you'd fall off and then boats got to come back around and get you. Craziest part about all that is they were, it was loaded with gators, and we did not care. I don't know what. You couldn't pay me enough money to get in that thing now, but it was loaded with gators and we did, that's how we grew up. We had a lot of adventure. We had four wheelers. We had 15 horses, I think at one point, outdoor dogs. We had a barn and, and that was my life. That was the one in Florida. The one in North Carolina was about the same acreage, but it was on a hill, a little pond out of the bottom below the house and then three horse pastures. That was in the middle of the mountains. You look around, there's mountains everywhere. That was different, but very cool. Those are the two houses. I spent about half my life in each of those.
1: How old were you when you moved to North Carolina?
0: I was 11. I hated it. I didn't want to. It was in the 90s, 96, I think, is when we moved, or 97. I was a Florida guy. I didn't care about North Carolina. It was the Gators and the Seminoles were the best football team every year. and, And I was enjoying that. And I had my friends, and that's all I cared about was living in Florida. And looking back now, it's one of the best things that could have ever happened moving to North Carolina. Yeah,
1: it's a tough age to move.
0: Yeah, for sure. I don't know what would be tougher that around high school, but I spent one year in elementary school in North Carolina. I settled in pretty good after that.
1: So, Chase, I've seen you post a lot of hunting photos on Instagram, including some with your brother. Was the outdoors a big part of growing up and and weekends, particularly when you got to North Carolina?
0: Yeah, it started in Florida for sure hunting doves and hunting gators but man we really really started whitetail and turkey hunting when I was probably at middle school or early on in high school and that was all my brother that was when I really fell in love with it killing bigger things and spending time with him spending my dad was there sitting behind me when I killed my first turkey and I really loved it but I, I wasn't owning it I was just kind of doing it because my brothers did it and it probably wasn't until college or even after college where I started really falling in love with hunting And doing it on my own. That's when I really got eaten up with it.
1: Well, tell me a little bit about your mom and dad and how they ended up moving from Florida to North Carolina. What drove that decision?
0: My dad's job, he was a contractor building houses. He got in some trouble, I think, with some lawsuit that was going on down there. I didn't know much about it. I was too young. But he had an opportunity to move up and be quarter owner in a golf course community where he would build the houses on the community. And that was the best thing that could have ever happened. We lived in Asheville. He found us a great high school there at AC Reynolds. Great football program, which was something we started falling in love with. Or my oldest brother started falling in love with around freshman year. And then he would work in Cashiers, North Carolina. That'll always be home. Just because even in Florida, that would be our vacation home. Like we'd go up to Cashiers and do lake stuff and mountain stuff there. Hour and a half outside of Asheville. And that's where my dad's buried. So that's always going to be a special place.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful town and a beautiful part of the world. I love that area. It's awesome.
0: Yeah. So,
1: Chase, who was the cook in your family?
0: My mom. My dad didn't grill. He didn't cook. He didn't do anything like that. My mom was always in charge of that. She was solid. You know, She had her thing she made, the meatloaf, which I hated. I hated meatloaf. <laughs> my favorite she'd always do, she still asked me today, like, if there's was something she was going to cook, it'd be like, Grilled chicken, mashed potatoes, and Velveeta mac and cheese. Nothing was from scratch for the most part. That's mashed potatoes were, but that was what I loved most. My mom made me some of that Velveeta mac and cheese. (laughs) So she was the cook.
1: You can't go wrong with that.
0: No, no. I mean, you can't screw that up.
1: So you moved to North Carolina, and you're in the middle of barbecue country. That's some of the best barbecue in the world. Did you become a big fan of that?
0: Yeah, yeah, there was a. I think it was called Smokehouse Barbecue or something like that in Cashiers. It's it's been bought and renamed since, but there was a place right there in Cashiers where we'd always go every year. It had the license plates up on the wall. Real vibey food was great barbecue. Even today, barbecue chicken on a sandwich with some cheese. Man, that Carolina West Coast West Side of Carolina. I don't like the vinegar. I like this tomato base. Uh, okay, that was where. I really fell in love with barbecue right there in the mountains of North Carolina. Yeah. So were the
1: holidays a big thing in y'all's family?
0: Oh, yeah. Huge. Thanksgiving I never liked when I was a kid because I always got sick. It was probably just that time of the year. Weird stuff happened at Thanksgiving when I was a kid. My buddy shot me in the foot with a BB gun (laughs) stuck in my foot. Like, I thought I was having to get amputated. Turns out you just reach in there, numb it a little bit and pull the BB out. It's not that big of a deal. (laughs) When you're an eight-year-old kid, it is. But that type of stuff always happened. Now Thanksgiving's one of my favorites with the football, the food. And I really started loving Thanksgiving when we moved to North Carolina because the cooler air moves in and it just has that feel to it in the mountains and the leaves are changing. And then Christmas was always huge. We still to this day, will wake up at 6 a.m. at the latest because that's a tradition. But yeah, Christmas, we'd always get up early when we were kids because we are so excited. And then when we started wanting to sleep in and like Middle school, high school, that's when my dad would actually, he'd start blowing air horns in the house. He'd start ringing a bell. He'd go down and play music on the motorhome, just out of the speakers. (laughs) He was not letting us sleep in. And that was cool because that was just the kid and my dad. When we started becoming adults, he didn't allow it. The kid came out at him. So Christmas was always huge. We'd we'd do that up big and still do. So were you singing growing
1: up? Was music a part of the holidays for y'all or did that? Come later.
0: No, that was later. I didn't start playing guitar till I was twenty-one years old, probably in college. That was just for fun. It wasn't for professional anything. That was definitely later. Music was not a part of our family.
1: Yeah. And what inspired you to pick up that guitar for the first time?
0: My college roommate. I'd say I learned to play guitar in college with him. He was playing Dave Matthews, and I would sing along. He was like, "Man, you should be a country singer, man." It's like saying he should have been an astronaut. That's how far from reality it was. And then the year after that, my dad passed away when I was 22, and that was when I wrote my first song. I wasn't very good, but I really loved it, and it was a way for me to kind of get what was going on with a 22-year-old kid just losing his dad, kind of get that off his chest. So you really hadn't
1: written anything before you lost your dad?
0: No, no, I'd never written a song before. I I wasn't planning on writing songs. I didn't even know I had it in me until after he died. Hmm.
1: So I want to come back to that, Chase. But, you know, you had this great football career in uh, high school and college. And um, it was a huge part of your life. And it looked like for a while that you might be headed for the NFL. What are some things that you learned from football that kind of translate to your music career?
0: I'd say just the work ethic. I was never the most talented player. I was never the fastest, the biggest. I had to work my ass off to become a good player and and be smarter than everybody. Same thing with music, although music started easier for me. I had crews right away almost. But that really made me feel like I guess I was a better songwriter than I am or than I was. So when it started 2012, having success, 2014, 15, losing my deal with Sony and getting out of that deal, actually. It was just like, eh, this is easy, though. I'll just go find another label and we'll keep having huge success. And then from 2014, 15 to 2022, it was a struggle. And that was the first time I really had to battle and had to, had to work. You know, go work harder than everybody else. Got to tour, got to write music, got to get in the studio and take the time to make it as best as possible. So I'd say the work ethic for sure. So were your mom and
1: dad really invested in your football prospects and your football career? And the idea that this might really be, you know, what you're going to do for a living.
0: I got hurt. My dad died. Then I wrote my first song. Tried to come back and play football. Wasn't the same. Didn't even realize it back then, but I was just not mentally there. I wasn't all there. And And this is at Carolina? This is at Carolina, yeah. Then I had an opportunity to go to NASCAR and worked at NASCAR. That's when I was really falling in love with writing songs. I didn't love the job, even though I knew it was an awesome job and an awesome opportunity. All I wanted to do was write songs. I I didn't have my college friends anymore. I didn't have my football anymore. I'm like, God dang, what am I going to do with my life? I was just lonely. And I think that led to me really falling in love with writing songs. I got suspended from NASCAR for getting in a fight. I was just a miserable person. And that was my first time when I got suspended. I moved to Nashville to hang out with Brian Kelly. And that's why I was like, man, this place is awesome. I love it here. I got friends here. Met some really cool people that first weekend. I want to leave Charlotte tomorrow and move here. Even though I wasn't good enough, that was the first time I really entertained that I could do this for a living, which was uh, probably 2009.
1: So, Chase, your dad was into car racing a little bit, wasn't
0: he? Yeah, he raced in the 24-hour Daytona. Late 70s? Might have been early 70s. But he raced in that, fell in love with racing. And then growing up in Daytona, we watch races all the time. And then moving to North Carolina, you're kind of still in it, being around Charlotte area. And then I work in NASCAR. Racing's always been in my blood, in my family. So working in it and not loving it was a hard thing for me because I knew the reason I didn't love it was because I wanted to move to Nashville and write songs. So
1: Mm. it was a weird
0: time in my life, to be honest. It was a lonely time in my life. And I had great opportunities, but I wasn't happy. Were you doing it partly
1: as a way to do something that your dad would be proud of? Was that part of it?
0: That was actually why I didn't quit. I was doing it because it was the only thing that I was presented. Hmm. It was the only thing I had, which is a hell of an opportunity. They came to me to ask if I'd be interested in bringing together this first class of NASCAR pit crew guys that would used to be athletes to see if we could be faster. It was the only thing that I had that was going for me. If that hadn't came along, I don't know what I would have done. Cause I was miserable. I don't know. I didn't have a plan B. I didn't have a plan A. (laughs) That came along and I was like, cool, I'm going with it. I moved there and it was the best thing I could have done for my music because, weirdly enough, I ran into a girl that I knew from Cashiers that used to work at the golf course one night. I was going around doing writer's rounds in Charlotte. Ran into her randomly at a bar or something, I think. She was with Eric Church's wife and little sister. Stuff like that kept happening. I'm like, man, I love this music thing that keeps popping up in my life. And that night, Eric's mom was there. And he's another Carolina guy that I was a huge fan of, just became a fan of his music. And I played her some songs that night. Shannon was her name. She asked me what I was doing. And I was like, I'm working in NASCAR, but I really want to move to Nashville and write songs. She said, oh, really? I'm here with you. Have you ever heard Eric Church? And I was like, I'm a huge fan. She said, I'm here with his wife, his little sister. It's her bachelorette party or something like that. And her mom was there, and we just all had a blast that night. And I played her some songs around that time period. And she was like, You're actually really good. Which she, I don't know if she's lying, but because I wasn't that good at the time. But it it really assured me like just playing people music really brought me to life when I was so miserable. Mm. And stuff like that kept popping up with the running into Eric's family that night get suspended, going to Nashville for the first time. And it really weirdly was starting to just head that direction on accident.
1: Something was pulling you to Nashville. Yeah. So Chase, talk to me about your friendship with Brian Kelly from Florida Georgia Line and and how
0: that got started. I grew up with him playing baseball, playing Little League soccer. And we were friends, but when I moved to Asheville when I was 11, he'd start visiting a guy that I moved with, one of the other families, who was one of the business partners in the, the golf course with my dad, he would start visiting because he was buddies with Lance. The only connection I really had with Lance was, hey, we used to live in Florida together. Our families are now in business together. So we were getting closer, me and Lance, and Brian and Lance were really good friends. So Brian would come visit him every summer, and we'd just have fun. Well, that's when Brian and I really got closer, was high school years and middle school years when he would come up and visit. So one of the visits he came up, late high school, probably. He brought a guitar and he was singing. I didn't even know how to play guitar yet, but I thought it was cool. And then as those summers kept progressing, I learned to play guitar in college. He comes up, he's playing guitar. He keeps talking to his buddy, Tyler. And keep in mind, this is over seven, eight years of summers we spent together. Fast forward, I get suspended. He's in Nashville, at Belmont, really wanting to give music a chance, but still playing baseball, still enjoying that. Then one of the summers we were together and the national trip happened and this is going to be Tyler. We're thinking about starting this band and calling it Florida, Georgia line. Cause he's from Georgia. And I remember him saying that I remember the conversation and just thinking that's actually a cool name for a band. And then I think that night I played a writer's round with them. I was in the middle. Tyler was to my right. Brian was to my left. They played songs together. I played some, I was probably pretty bad cause I was nervous and I was singing into a microphone, which I wasn't used to, but, I remember thinking that night, like, yeah, these guys are pretty damn good.
1: (laughs) They might actually go somewhere.
0: (laughs) I just remember thinking it was different. It was good. Their passion was there. And you could tell that they really enjoyed what they did. So from that trip, I did the survivor thing. And the whole mindset I had was, this is an interesting thing. I don't know what even survivor is. I heard of it, obviously, but I never dreamed I'd be on it. But it gives me an opportunity to get out of this job without quitting because I can't quit the job because it's too much in the vein of what I know my dad would want me to do, if he would have been around he don't know what he would have said about me quitting that job, but I used that survivor as an opportunity to quit the job to move to Nashville, yeah, and I wasn't moving to Nashville, I was going to visit him again because I was after Survivor, and I really just wanted to go see the boys and I loved it so much when i when I visited him the first time when I got there, they had a room available in the house' their one of their buddies had just gotten severe depression and had to move back home. And so the room was available, and that's how I ended up moving into their house. Hmm. So
1: y'all wrote a song called Cruise that was just one of those earth-shattering songs that doesn't come along very often. And I've heard you say that that song was a blessing and a curse. What did you mean by that?
0: It was a blessing in that, okay, now I got a little respect in town, and I'm going to have money coming in. That's huge. But when you're a songwriter who doesn't have a clue what he's doing, doesn't even have a clue what he doesn't want to do, he's just along for the ride, and that pops, that becomes your identity. And it became not just my identity as a writer, but, oh, I guess this is what I'm going to do for my life, my career. So I kept trying to rewrite that. I kept trying to be in that vein. I kept seeing FGL pop off. Oh, okay. well, I can just be on the heels of that and create my own little version of that and explode and I'll be in stadiums by next year. I didn't know how it works. And I believe that put me in a spiral towards making music that I wasn't passionate about making for the last 10 years. And the interesting part about that is while I was writing it, I was passionate about it. When we wrote Ready, Set, Roll, I was so fired up. Lonely, I was fired up. Eyes on You, when they wrote that, I was like, hell yeah, this song is fire. So I was pumped about it while I was doing it. But there was a deep down thing going on. I mean, there was ten years of me wanting to work with Jay Joyce, just because I'd go all the way back to the Eric Church thing. I'd really respected what they did. I just didn't know how to do it, and my music was so opposite of that. It was like I knew though that that's what I wanted to do. I just didn't know how. And I'd probably still be doing that if it wasn't for the pandemic. Because the pandemic happened, you take time off the road. I stopped trying to write songs for crowds to get them rowdy and do a rowdy show. I started writing songs. There were good quality songs with an acoustic guitar the way I did it 10 years before. When we wrote Cruise, we weren't trying to write Cruise. We were just three guys in a room with acoustic guitars. It popped out and it was like, oh, that's cool. That's what happened on this I Hate Cowboys record. Mm -hmm. This fell out and it's just like, oh, that's cool. And it's authentic and it's me. And that's how Cruise happened.
1: Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with the country musician Chase Rice. So Chase, we'll get to the new record, which is so great, in a minute. You were talking about the pandemic. You wrote something called A Letter to My Younger Self in, I think, the spring of 2020. And it's a pretty remarkable document that looks back on some difficult times that you went through, starting really with the loss of your father and addressing some of the things that you're talking about, about just not being quite happy or satisfied with what you were doing. What compelled you to sit down and and write that?
0: I don't know. The time off, being able to reflect not being busy for the first time in 10 years. Then I had a lot of front porch time. I'll just sit on my front porch and just chill and talk to God or listen to God. And that thing wrecked me when I went down those roads. Kind of messed me up, but it opened up a lot of stuff that I never really talked about, especially never talked about it with my music. And I think that really opened up writing this record, too. Taking time off, I think, was the biggest thing that helped me face that stuff. Got a lot of anger out, I think. And then I was able to be freed up to write a record that was just like, I don't even know what's happening with the world anymore. I don't have social media anymore. I got in trouble for doing a show. And I just realized this world is a weird place we live in where everybody's attacking people without having a clue what's happening. And everybody's behind these computer screens, behind their phones. And I decided I didn't want to have anything to do with that way of life. And that's when I stepped away. That's when I started writing that article. That's when I started writing this record. And if I'm going to be attacked for trying to keep my guys employed, that's not a world I want to be a part of. If people are bickering over Trump and politics, that's not a world I want to be a part of. I stepped away from all of it. And I realized really fast, like the night that I got off of social media, that very night is when I wrote if I were rock and roll. And this was around the time I'd just written that article. So It was a lot happening where I was just fed up with everything. I was fed up with not only the world, but how I was dealing with the way the world was going. I can't control what's going on with people, but I can control how I'm acting on it. And I was disappointed in how I was acting with everything. So I got away from it. And then all of a sudden, this creative stuff just started going. I start writing all these songs. And then all of a sudden, Oscar Charles enters my life and... Everything he's saying and his ideas, I'm like, God dang, that's what I was just thinking. Like Spinning around his chair when he asked me where I wanted to record the record. I'm like, I don't want to do it at a studio. That's boring to me. Spins around his chair, looks up at my living room, and I'm like, this guy, where has he been? <laughs> that first year of the pandemic came crashing down. It's almost like it had to fall apart to be put back together again.
1: So, Chase, you're doing all this songwriting, and you've now got this album coming out. It's called I Hate Cowboys and All Dogs Go to Hell. And there's a picture of your dad on the cover, and he's holding two cans of Coors. I'm sure you have a ton of pictures of your dad. What was it about that one that made you want to put it on the cover?
0: I just always loved the picture, first of all. My mom gave me and my brothers a picture book, You know the thick ones that we, we had a ton of them when we were kids. And she spent a lot of time going through all those. I'm sure it was therapeutic for her in a lot of ways, but she took all that time and put them all in her own books. And from the time I was born, time my dad passed away, did that for my brothers as well. It may have done that for my aunt. I can't remember. Hopefully she did it for herself too. But she gave me that book years ago. I was out of college. I was a singer then. And that was one of the pictures that was in my book. And I just always loved it. I loved it so much so that picture just kept coming up and it was really iconic. And then when I started thinking about this album, I told EB way back, my publicist, I said, I really would think it'd be cool to use this picture for our cover at some point. I don't think any of us thought we'd do it because my music didn't match that. Like you can't sing Eyes on You and Ride only if you are and then throw that as the cover. It just doesn't match. So when we started putting this music together, I realized how real it was, the writing, the production, everything was in line. And then all of a sudden I had another brilliant idea to come up with. I hate cowboys and all dogs go to hell, which is like, that just doesn't make, that doesn't sell. You're just going to piss people off. You've done a good job of that already. Why are you trying to piss more people off? But I knew what the songs really were, but I knew if I can get people to listen to these songs, it's going to work. It's that quality.
1: Well and Chase, I'm not gonna make you explain the songs, but let's just say that, you know, you have to listen to the songs to understand the meaning of the of the title and uh it's not what you think it is.
0: No, it's not at all what you're gonna expect. The big thing was if I'm gonna call it I hate cowboys and I'll always go to hell, well I'd probably need to have a little bit of a hint of a cowboy thing on the cover so people don't try to crucify me right away. And I kept thinking about that picture, I'm like What if this came together like that? And it did. It was perfect. We originally had borders around it with my name. I hate cowboys and all those good to hell. Even that, we decided to get rid of because the picture says it all. Picture's all you need to see. And then on the back of the vinyl and CD is Jack, my dog. Cowboys and dogs are the theme of this record, just because that's where I am in life. I've got my ranch in Tennessee. I love the West. I always have. I was wearing cowboy hats to prom in high school. and grew up around horses. I'm not claiming to be a cowboy by any means, but... That way of life and that lifestyle was how I grew up and how I was raised, and I think I've just settled into who I was put on this earth to be.
1: You know, thinking about your dad and the letter that you wrote during the pandemic, and you talked a lot about your dad's faith and how strong it was, and I'm wondering if some of that is running through this record as well.
0: Yeah, 100%. I have a relationship with Jesus, and that's all I know to call it. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know about what you call it, and that's a good place to be, I think. I went through a lot of healing and stuff in 2017. That all was really stemmed from childhood stuff, losing my dad, addictions that I've dealt with. And through all that, the center of all that was Jesus. The reason I love the story of Jesus, whether he was the son of God or not, I don't think any of us are going to know that until the day we die. But he was the type of guy that I can respect and and I would have wanted to hang out with. Because if anybody knows me or any of my history, um, there's some dark stuff in there that I don't think a lot of people see, but they hear about, or they think they have an idea who I am. And a lot of that self-induced that I brought on myself was just (laughs) live and learn. But I love the fact that I know he would be right there with me saying, hey, man, Get back up again and let's keep going. And I'll have struggles my entire life, but I know that, that he's a guy that would have been there with me and for me and, and is, you know. I hope he's real. I hope he's the son of God. I hope he died on the cross. And I'm not gonna force that on anybody, but that's what I believe. And I think he's all over this album, how it came together and, and my music in general. I think it shows more who I am than than I do.
1: Well, you have a great song called uh, drinking beer, talking God, amen. And that's about the kind of faith that doesn't happen in church necessarily. Do you have a circle of friends in Nashville who share your faith, even if you may not see them on Sunday?
0: Oh, yeah. Refuge is a group of guys. I actually fished with them out of Montana this past summer. And there's no schedule. There's no, we're going to talk about this. Just come on out and hang out for a few days or a week or however long you do it, but Guy that runs that, his name's Brian, he randomly, like, he hit me up a couple of days ago. I was like, man, I am beat to hell right now. And you start getting in your head, you start wondering, oh, if I have success, it's all going to come crumbling down. You're living out of fear as opposed to living out of joy and loving what you get to do and loving the good stuff that's coming along. When that starts happening, I start freaking out half the time. It's like, I just really wish I could enjoy this. So he's the type of guy that was like, all right, what's your schedule? I'll come in, hang out for a night. And we'd fly fish, we'd hang out, we'd just chill. He's that guy. I have a few people like that in my life that are always there for me, and I'd be there for them in a second as well. Sitting here drinking beer, talking guys.
1: I just want to ask you about a couple songs, and one of them is called "Bench Seat." There's a video that starts out with you in a therapy session. It gets really dark, and it deals with some scary subjects like suicide. And talk to me about that song and the and the meaning behind it.
0: It's based all off a true story. One of my best buddies from college. He almost shot himself in the head. And he came to my house and explains that to me when I went and talked to him one night when he was trying to go to sleep and his dog was at the foot of the bed. Finally, I realized like, oh, damn, it's that bad. He was just not himself for a long time. And I could see in him some stuff that I'd gone down to. So I'm like, oh, this is not good, man. He's in a bad, bad place. So he gets help. He does a lot of work he needs to do. And fast forward in the pandemic, some point in there, he's at my house. He's got his dog with him, who's on my lap at that point. We're talking, we're laughing, we're having a great time. And he just laughs out of nowhere, sitting around a fire, drinking beer. And he's like, dude, you should write a song about a guy driving around his truck with his dog. And I just laughed. I'm like, that's cliche. But that's what I'm trying to avoid is the cliche stuff on this next record. Come on, man. And we laughed about it. Then three days later, I called him and I said, dude, I wrote it. It's not going to be what you're going to expect. I kind of took it there, man, which he was all about because he loves getting real. And that was all based off of him and his life. And then some of the darker stuff in my life. The weirdest part was while I was writing it, I had the music video in mind, pretty much what you just saw. Originally it was going to be a car accident in my head. That's what happened that day when I wrote the song, but I wanted to make it more about my life and more real to a lot of the guys that I've met through therapy, through rehab. And just really hone in on something more real than a car accident. Because it happens a lot where you get it together and then one time can wreck it all. And hopefully, pray to God, it doesn't wreck it like it wrecked the guy in the video. But I really wanted to take the opportunity to. so many guys have either killed themselves, tried to, thought about it. Even if you're thinking about it, it's like, cool. I get it. But talk to somebody. You don't have to do that. He got engaged last week. Like this girl's awesome. I went and saw him over Christmas on the way to see my family. And she's the best. He's the best. Like you're gonna miss out on all that because of a dark time in your life. And the tough part is when you're in it, you can't see that. And she says in the music video, like you don't need that. And the guy in the video finally got to see at the end what his life could have been if he just hadn't chose that road. I don't know why that video was in my head that day when I wrote the song. It is very dark, but it ends happy in a way like She's doing okay now. You can see that The little boys in his dad's hat. He's there to pick up the dog who was there for them the whole life. And a lot of it's the mental health aspect, but it's also just the story of a dog. You know, I got Jack now because of that video and he's the main dog in the video. And we roll the windows down. You're right there in the bench seat next to me. There's a smell of fresh cut grass. Mr. Reynolds waves as we roll past State Road 44. First light arrives, the best view in Tennessee. And they'll say, saved your life. Oh, but I know that's a lie between you and me.
1: It's a beautiful song, and it's a really powerful video y'all put together and i think it's gonna really resonate with a lot of people
0: i just think so many people and i've seen at rehab and stuff it can be positive it can be negative but other things i've done with my military buddies it just doesn't get talked about where these people are killing themselves all day long and too many people are doing it talk about it stop living by yourself and go talk to a friend about it if your friend can't handle you telling them you're about to kill yourself you got the wrong friend go find a new group of people and i just feel like it needs to be talked about more because it's happening too often and the love of a dog and how he can come into your life and and we're going to specifically find other programs and stuff that can get somebody help and i'm going to send it to my military buddies and hey if you got somebody you know needs to see this send them this video Hmm.
1: chase i want to ask you about one more and that's a song that you performed at the Opry called For a Day, which is a tribute to your dad and just wanted to know what was going through your mind when you were standing in that circle and singing that song.
0: The first time I played the Opry, I looked down and I saw my mom. She was by herself and there was a seat next to her. And that's a sh- feeling. I just closed my eyes on this one because my mom wasn't there. And I wasn't planning on playing that song until that day. It was my manager's idea. I was like, dude, that's a great idea. I don't say it in the song, but it would have been sick for him to be there at the Opry. I, and I was also just trying not to screw it up. was <laughs> such a powerful moment. I'm like, don't, don't screw this up, man. But it was cool. It was an honor to be able to play that song on the Opry in that circle. I don't know, 10, 12 years later after I've done this thing, finally singing songs that I really genuinely care about. I'm not sitting around there trying to entertain. I was just singing a song. But I think it had been a moment in my career that he would be very proud of.
1: Hmm. Chase, I just got one more question for you. Yeah. What does it mean to you to be Southern?
0: Well, to me, I'm proud of the actual geographical location of where I'm from. I am from the South, so that helps. Being from Florida, a lot of people wouldn't call that Southern, but you go through the more red parts of Florida, it's Southern as it gets. Then North Carolina as well. I love the geographical side of where I grew up. You can't fake that anywhere else. Like That is where I am from, the Southeastern part of the United States. I'm proud of that. And then on top of that, I don't know if it's necessarily Southern, the way that you live your life. I think it's Southern. I think it's Cowboy. I think you pick your word for it. But just the way that I've talked about this record has brought me to the realization of, like, the way you should live your life is the way that my dad lived his. And I struggle with that sometimes, but I'm trying every day. But that's just being honest with people. Shake their hand. Tell them the truth. Look them in the eye when you're talking to them. And for me, it's being who... I was raised to be by my mom and dad being respectful of people no matter who they are. A lot of people grow up in the South. I think polite is a lot of people's word, but I'm not a huge fan of the word polite. I'd rather be honest than polite, (laughs) honest and respectful. That would be the two words I'd use. Well, Chase
1: Rice, thanks for being on biscuits and jam. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Chase Rice. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash jam Our theme song is by Sean Watkins of Nickel Creek.